Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Fantastic. Well, a great presence of the Lord this morning. Great excitement here. I love it. How many felt there's something just happening in the atmosphere, happening in the church at this time, eh? Then something. Praise the Lord. We want to sense God is just doing a fresh thing. Every year is a great new time for God, isn't it, eh? Every year. Praise the Lord. Great new day for Emma. She's got a birthday. She's just turned 15. There's Emma over there. Let's give her a clap. Young Emma, she's come, come a long way. Praise the Lord. Well, I've just been uh, finding it just this month, I mean, a tremendous time of uh, beginning to encounter and experience God afresh. And I want to share with you over this uh, next two Sundays, today and next week, I want to share about how to ignite a fresh passion in your heart for God. How to ignite a fresh passion in your heart for God. Igniting fresh passion for Christ. Amen? Sound good? Well, that wasn't very passionate. That's, what we're, that's the reason we're doing this, of course. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been, uh, uh, God has been speaking to us uh, the message through the word of crossing over the other side, about making changes in our life, about preparing to enlarge. And uh, I share with you right at the beginning how God has got enlargement for every one of us this year. But before that enlargement, there is an igniting of a fresh passion, a fresh uh, zeal, a fresh fire for Him, a fresh love for Him, a, uh, a receiving a fresh revelation from Him, and then a moving into enlargement in our lives. So if you're feeling a sense of stirring, of frustration, of restlessness, then don't run away, stay where you are and turn into God and begin to see how he wants you to grow and expand and enlarge in this coming year. So I want to share over this week and next week, igniting a fresh passion. Then we'll begin to talk about positioning yourself to receive revelation from the Lord. Then we'll talk about enlargement, about how to be enlarged in God. Amen. Uh, there's a good scripture. David said, in my distress, you have enlarged me. Something to meditate on, isn't it? Eh? In my distress, you have enlarged me. I don't like that bit at all. However, we'll get to that. First, we'll get passionate about the Lord again. Eh? Turn to someone. Did you be more passionate? See what I mean? Do it again. You need to be more passionate. Ah, that's better. Hey, come on, come on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And how many know what the first commandment is? What is the very first thing God wants us to remember? Say? What did Jesus say when he was asked, what's the first commandment? He answered, thou shalt love the Lord your God. So what's number one thing in our life? Love the Lord your God. Now that's not some quiet kind of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not just a little bitty of your heart. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. So God wants us to be a passionate lover of him because he is a passionate lover of people. You've got to get your concepts of God right. If we get a wrong concept of God, you can't love and relate to someone you don't really know. Eh? We always hold back from the people we don't know as we get to know people. But to get to know God, we've got to know what the Bible says about him, not what we think about him. We must not be conditioned by New Zealand's church culture into what God is like, but what the Word of God says He's like. And so we need to have revelation of what God is like. It affects how we relate to Him. And so we love the Lord our God. God is seeking a passionate love relationship. That word passion means to be strong, to be intense, to be violent, to be expressive. How about that? Expressive. Uh, the opposite to that is passionless. A passionless marriage, holding together, but love has died. A terrible thing. It's just as bad as a passionless church, passionless Christian. It's absolutely, absolutely not what God wanted to raise up. He said, I want to raise up his callers, to raise us up a people zealous for good work, passionate about him. Uh, but passion is something that can be diminished and quenched. Passion is something that can be ignited. If we get attached to the wrong things and start doing the wrong things, our passion for God is quenched. Slowly, little, we begin to die out. And the flame that once burned isn't burning very more. Just a little flicker like the pilot light. But the main gas isn't going. Eh? And uh, I remember when we uh, lived in, Danny, uh, in, in Wellington, we had a gas caliphon to light the flat. It was in a student flat. I didn't know about gas caliphons, but gas caliphons have a little pilot light. Pilot light just keeps ticking over. And uh, then when you turn on the gas and the pilot light lights the main stuff, and whoosh, 
up it goes and heats the heats us. So anyway, I went over the pilot light had gone out. So I turned it on. I had a bit of trouble with the matches. So I struck one match and it uh, well, aye, aye, aye. struck another match. Aye, 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 aye. Struck another match. Oh, these someone wet the matches. So and of course what I didn't realise is the gas is still going, you know. So finally about the fourth match. We put it to the pilot light to get the pilot light. Not only the pilot light went up, all the gas went up as well. There was a poof, poof. You know, I had singed hair, singed face. The fire was alight. They could tell I'd been somewhere near fire. Eh? Boys and fire, they go together, don't they? <laughs> okay then. So passion, passion. God wants us to have passion in our life. We're going to share some things about that today. Passionate love relation. Listen to some examples from the Bible. Psalm 142, Psalm 42 verse 1. David cries out, my soul thirsts for the Lord. My flesh longs after God. That's passion. It's a hunger. Passion for God always is expressed in a hunger for him and for his presence. Here's another one. In Song uh, Solomon uh, uh, chapter 5 verse 4, he said, uh, it says, all my heart yearned for him yearning. It's like someone who's lovesick. I remember when uh, we were going out together at university and my wife did a year study in Auckland and I was still down in Wellington. I was doing my honours. She was up there doing a teacher's training and I, this was yearning. Oh, that's yearning, right? And you're on the phone all the time, you know. So we had on the phone. I made many a trip up on the overnight express up there. Why? Because of a longing. A yearning. See, when there's a yearning, we pursue. When there's a yearning, yearning, hunger, passion for God will always be expressed by pursuing God and wanting more and more of Him. He's like chocolate. The more you have, the more you want. I can never have one piece of chocolate. Got a whole cake there and you break it up into lots of bits and there's one little bit and I have one little bit, you know what's going to happen. I can devour a whole cake in one sitting. (laughs) Because it ignites something inside. You have a little bit, you want more. Like that with God. You have a little bit, you want more. Want more and more of Him. Psalm 27 verse 4. David says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that I'll seek after. That's interesting what he wanted of the Lord. Because if I was asking you, what you want of the Lord? Probably I'll hear hundreds of different things that you want of God. But there's one thing. See, David was a man who knew God and actually made a huge impact for God. And it says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. And this is what he wanted. He didn't want a healing. He didn't want a deliverance. He didn't want a financial breakthrough. He didn't want his marriage to come right. He didn't want all those things. Yes, he needed all those things, but they were secondary. He said, the one thing that ignites a desire and a passion more than anything else, he said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and I will seek and pursue after it, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. To inquire in his temple, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. This is his passionate desire, was to experience and encounter and behold the Lord. And then to inquire or to fellowship or commune and hear from him. We think of David as a man who changed a nation. David was one of the greatest reformers in Israel's history, but this is what was in his heart. He had a passion for God. And I believe that God is speaking to us all prophetically at this time. It's time to ignite a fresh passion and fire of love. Now, maybe you need a breakthrough in your marriage. That's fine. But why don't we look for a breakthrough personally with God? Because he'll change you, and that will help change your marriage. Why we need a fresh breakthrough financially? Why don't you begin to push into God to get to know him better because he'll change you and that will result in you changing the way you operate your finances. See, let's go first for the giver before we seek the giftings. I'm going to see a little bit on that in just a moment. So passionate desire. I want to be passionate about him. Look what it says in Revelations chapter 3. And uh, it's talking about the different churches here in verse 14. It says, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things write, or says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, when we read the book of Revelation, it's not about all weird kind of things. It is actually the book of the revelation of the Antichrist. No, it isn't. It's the book of revelation of Jesus, who he's like. So most of the time we read it, we're all looking for all the bad stuff. Oh, the mark of the beast. Oh, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the mark of the Lord on my life. The other thing, if I got this, I've got to worry about that. 
Come on now, you've got to get your priorities right. The world and the Christian world gets fanatic about the wrong things. Get fanatical about and passionate about the Lord. You know, so in, when, in, in the Bible, as it talks about the different churches, in every one, there are two things that appear in every statement Jesus makes to the church. Here's, here's one of the things that appears. In every statement Jesus makes to the church, he reveals something about what he's like. It's the revelation of him. We get to look at all the wrong things, but it's actually he reveals himself to be something. Secondly, he says this, I know your works. He doesn't say, I know your good intentions. We tend to judge ourselves by intentions. He said, I know your works, what you're doing. What you're doing, not what you're saying. Not what you're saying, but what you're doing. How you're living your life, what's first in your life, and how that outworks in your life. He said, I'm watching your works. Every one of these books, he makes the same statement. Notice what it says here. It says, these things says the amen, the faithful and witness, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. Now, you notice first these things. Number one, he describes what he's like. He begins to reveal himself. I'm not going to go into that too much this time, but let me just tell you three or four things he says. He says, he says these things says the amen. Jesus is the end. In fact, everything ends and concludes with him coming again and us appearing before him. He's the end of it all. He says the amen, the faithful and true witness. He was the one person who in history faithfully and truthfully represented what God is like. He actually made known what God is like. Eh? He's a witness. And we are, notice this, he's the beginning of God's creation. He's the model upon which you, you, you model your life. So the Bible tells us then about Jesus. When Jesus manifested his life in the earth, he showed us what God is wanting to bring forth in the earth. He showed us a person living under the direction, full of the Spirit of God, what a person like that could do. They could ignite a generation. And he said, this is what God is doing, raising up a people just like Jesus Christ. So he wants us to be passionate about him, to be in love with him, not to be a once was hot Christian, like a once was hot marriage that came up and they stood at the altar there and oh, oh, oh they wept as the, the emotional atmosphere. Then years later, they hardly talked to one another. That's what it's often like with people who once were passionate about Jesus. And so he says, I know your works. You know, I know what you do. Now listen, it is possible for us to profess Christ with our lips, but with our works, deny him. Titus tells us that, Titus 1.14. He said, this people, they, he says, they profess they know me, but the way they live their life actually says another thing. Let me make a statement there. The way you live your life, what you do, reflects exactly what you believe say it again what you do the way you live your life reflects exactly what you really believe i know you think you believe lots of things we all think we believe lots of things but at the end of the day what we truly believe we will do so if we can look what we're doing with our life we'll actually see what we truly believe if we believe that christ is the center of my life, the source of my life, that in him I live and move and have my being, that him before him I'll give account. I will live my life with him at the center. He's the first one in my life. But if I live my life differently, it means I don't believe that at all. I actually believe he's an add-on God. I have my life and I add on Jesus. So which do we have, an add-on Jesus or a Jesus who is our life? And that's the key thing that the church in the West has to face. The key challenge every one of us faces is will we live to please him or will we live to please ourselves and want him to bless us and help us get finances and help us get a job and help us get ahead. What we want is an add-on God. And, he said, and this is what he said. He said, I wish you were hot or cold because people who are cold and hardened against God all know it. People who are hot know it. People who are lukewarm haven't got a clue where they're really at. He said, that's the problem. People are lukewarm. He says, you, you don't really realize when you're lukewarm. Now, he says, I want you to be hot. That word hot is the word zealous, from which we get zealous. I want you to be passionate 
burning alive because a person who's on fire can change the atmosphere around and impact the people around them. If you're going to impact the world around you, if you're going to make a difference, something inside you must burn more brightly than what's in the people around you. Something inside us must be passionate and alive and we carry an atmosphere of God and now we begin to affect others. Christians are so often on the defensive. Time to get off the defensive. Time to begin to realize God's plan for the church is to invade the world. The question is whether we will be ignited with a fire of love for Jesus that consumes us. And I believe there are many of us here who need to encounter him afresh because the fire that burnt has gone out or is very dim. You say, well, how can that be? It's easy for that to happen. Disappointments, cares, worries, distractions, the deceitfulness of riches. We think because we've got a lot that that actually means that we really have got something in life. In fact, actually, true power riches is found not in how much you've got, but how much you're giving, what you're doing with it. So you can all think that the Bible talks in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower of the seed, all the things that choke out the life of God, the cares of this life, the pleasures of sin, the riches, uh, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the worries, distractions. Slowly they ebb you out until the fire isn't burning anymore. And God wants to ignite that fire, wants to ignite a fire in you so you're passionately in love with him. I want us to look in the Old Testament, just have a look at a couple of things there. And then we're going to look at one Old Testament picture, one New Testament picture. We'll compare it. You see similarities between it. Okay, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. How many know what God had in mind when he drew the people out of Egypt? The Bible talks about in the book of Exodus, tells how the people were saved out of Egypt by the blood. It's a picture for us of getting saved. How many know what God had in mind for them? How many know what God had in mind for them? How many know he had in mind for them a promised land, a land full of promises? That when God saved you and me, he had in mind for you some things about our marriage, things about our family, things about our finance, things about our destiny, things about the influence we'd have. God had many things in mind for you. In fact, he had a plan in heaven outlined of the things he wants to work and accomplish through you. That's awesome. Absolutely fantastic. But before that, he wanted firstly to bring them into encounter with himself that they might become passionate lovers of God. Because a passionate lover of God will qualify to receive all the promises of God. But a person who's not passionate about God rarely ever sustains a strong Christian life. They rarely ever fulfill their destiny. They always seem to tip over and fall apart at some point. Let's just have a quick look at it in Jesus chapter 19, verse 4, 5, and 6. And, G and the Lord's speaking to me, now you see what I did to the Egyptians. You see how I bought you on eagle wings. And I want you to notice something that's repeated three times here. I bought you unto myself. He said, now if you will keep my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you'll be a peculiar treasure unto me. A special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Then you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now you notice God's desire. He desired the people to enter into deep personal relationship and fellowship with him. He said, I bought you out of Egypt to bring you to me. And then after you've come into encounter with me and your life has been transformed... Then I have all these things ahead I want you to possess and enter into. So he made an invitation to the whole of the nation. I want you to come and meet with me, but you must sanctify or prepare yourself or you must clean up your life. You've got to let me work and show you the things that need change and begin to put aside the things that defile you. Things that rob passion are defilements. Let me ask you this. How many people would want to be in a marriage where your spouse said this, oh, I'm going to love you 300 days of the 60 days of the year, but those other five I want for myself. I've got some other interests. You think that sucks. I'm not having any of that. I want all of it. But that's where a lot of believers are. We want all that God can give, but we don't want to give all of ourselves to us, to Him. We want to hold back. And it's not a hard thing to give to God. He is a lover of us and has only the best things for us. See, so God called them to come into, into relation to be a people that would love. Notice what he called them to be, a kingdom of priests. He 
said, I want you to learn how to come near and encounter me and love and worship me and then experience intimacy with me that will change your life. Notice what in Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, he said this, he said, Lord, he said, if your presence isn't with us or doesn't go with us, then I'm not leaving here. Because how can the world know that we are separated to you unless your presence goes with us? How can the world know that there's grace and favor on our life unless your presence is with us? In other words, Moses made it very clear. He said, all very well, the promised land, but if I haven't got you, I'm not having that. Can you see his priority? We tend to want the gifts that God can give. and He wants us to pursue him as the giver. He wants us to pursue him for who he is. How many of you have had someone and uh, you were in a relationship with them and the only way the relationship was sustained was because they had an agenda of something they wanted to get out of you? How does that feel in about the quality of relationship? It doesn't feel too good, does it? In fact, you and I don't like to be in a relationship where the only thing the person's there for is so they can get something from us. You feel exploited, used, taken advantage of, and while you're happy to give and happy to, uh, to, to sow into it, after a while there's a dissatisfaction because it's a one-way street. How do you think God feels? God has called us to relationship, and out of relationship will withhold nothing. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who respect, honor, and reverence and enter into a relationship with him. No good thing. He won't withhold anything from us. See? But what happens is we want to use God to get where we want to get instead of encountering God and let him change our life. So having a fresh passion for God is about encountering him to prepare you for enlargement. Because I've observed this over the years. Now, let get this. In the Old Testament, the people, when God came to visit them, the people drew back and stood afar off. They just didn't want to go near God. Whoa, he's scary. I'm not going near him. I tell you what, Moses... You go before the Lord and you pray and you turn up on Sunday and give us a message and we'll listen to that. But we don't want to go near God. He might require us to change our lives. He might call something from us and we don't want that. We just want to be able to stand in the distance, stand a long way off and let someone else go near to God. See, in the Catholic Church I came out of, the priests went near to God, but the rest of us didn't. But in the Pentecostal churches and across Christendom, it's not much different. We're still reluctant to go near to God and encounter him and draw near to him because we're scared of what might happen in our life or ashamed that something that's in our life might be exposed or we just plumb want to use God to get ahead. Come on now. That's how it is. Now, this is, this, this is, this is what has weakened the church in the West and this is what God must address for us to come into the destiny God has for us. He must address this thing in our life. In, the, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, uh, it says uh, we've been purchased by Christ. It talks about being saved. And then it says that henceforth we may no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. See, God's wanting to change the center of your life from just being self-centered and selfish and getting what I can get, doing my best I can in life and saving myself, to actually being a lover of God who can give abundantly. And an encounter with God and turning to him and beginning to know him intimately is the only way our lives really change. I have set my heart this year to pursue God more passionately than ever before. I'm so convinced that major changes are ahead prophetically for the church and for us. So, see, so, so interesting what Moses said. Moses said this, God, I want your presence more than anything. If that, you're not going to come with me, well, I'm standing here until you do, but I'm certainly not going on. God wants us to have a love and a passion for him. See, one of the things that's a, a real concern for me in the church in New Zealand and, and very much in the West is that church carries on like a business and you can't tell whether God's there or not. That's something's wrong. Something's wrong. Church has always been about God being with us. And if God is with us, we should feel him, we should experience him, we should hear from him, and we should see things happen. Hello? 
Come on. I know you're thinking about this because God's on this. I, I, I just have had passion in my heart. As God has been speaking to me about his desire for a relationship with us. Now, I want to share with you. Notice here what it says. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Now, a priest, a person goes in the presence of God. I want to use two pictures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. We're going to look at an Old Testament picture, and I'm going to go through and show you four things about passionate love for God. And then we'll just look quickly at a New Testament story, and you'll see someone who really had it and someone who didn't have it. And the four things turn up in both the Old Testament and New Testament stories. So let's have a look in Exodus chapter, remembering that God wants us to be a priest. A priest is a person who goes into the presence of God. Why don't you look with me in Exodus chapter 30. Don't say the Old Testament's too hard. It's just pictures uh, to show us some, uh, or illustrate for us naturally, things God wants us to understand spiritually. So they're not that hard. See? So God calls us a priesthood. Now you notice in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 34, he said, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Verse th- chapter 30, verse 34. And uh, God is talking to the priests about coming into his presence. Of course, they came into a building. We don't necessarily come into a building. We come into an experience in the spirit. But this is what he said. He said, verse, uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. And he said, you will make sweet spices, stacte, onnicha, and galbanum, and these sweet spices with pure frankincense, each one will have the same weight. And you'll make of it a perfume after the art of the chemist, tempered together, pure and holy. You'll beat it very small. You put some in the testimony of the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with you and it shall be holy. Now, God is telling them about how to make incense. How many have been to a service of some kind uh, where, you, where they had incense? Huh? It's a, got a pungent smell, hasn't it? And they put in a sense in that, and of course, the thing is, it hasn't got a fire, it won't work. But they've got the special powder, and when they put the powder in, there's just clouds and clouds of smoke come up, and they still use it in some churches, still use it in the Middle East. They still, and the smoke comes up, and you can smell the stuff. You either like it or you hate it. And uh, anyway, it's a, supposed, it's a sweetie sort of smell, and it sort of flows up. Now, when the priest wanted to encounter God, to come into the presence of God, he had to come with these things. Number one, he had to come with the blood. He could only come with the blood of an animal, a lamb that was slain. You and I can only come near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, which has sanctified us, set us apart, made us born again, and prepared us to encounter God. But he said the priest had to come with something else. He had to also come with a censer of fire, coals of fire. The fire came from an altar which God lit himself from heaven. And he had to come with incense. So when the priest wanted to go into the presence of God, he had to have with him blood which cleansed him from sin so he could come near to a holy God. And he had to bring something before God. And it was this. He had to bring before him a censer with fire and he put incense on it. And the incense began to form huge clouds. And then God began to show his presence. God began to manifest himself and talk with him. Now, today we'll see that those things which are there, which made up the incense, are things which are very easy for us to produce in our life. And he was told explicitly what to do to make the incense which was to be offered up to the Lord and in which God would appear. Now, we need to know how to access the presence of God. We're going to share with you some keys next week about actual steps of how you can increase, ignite your passion, what you can do. I just wanted to give you the picture of it here. Let's just go through it. I want to go through each of the uh, ingredients, the four ingredients. Every ingredient uh, uh, was a particular sweet substance, a very expensive substance, and it had some particular qualities about it. Number one, stacto was an aromatic gum, and it was distilled gradually. In other words, the only way you could get the gum was this. You had to go to the tree which produced the gum and you had to put a cut in the side of it and it oozed out the gum. That's how you got the gum. You had to make a cut in the side of the tree. You had to cut into it, not just the surface, you had to cut into it so something from within the tree, the very life of the tree, began to ooze out and that became one quarter of the ingredients that made up the sweet incense that pleased God. The cutting in the side of the tree is a picture for us of sacrifice. It costs you something to be passionate for God. It costs you something to be a worshiper of God. What we want is we want to keep our self-life intact and have God added on and all his blessings. It doesn't work that way. No one can remain in a relationship where the other person is entirely selfish. 
If you're going to build any kind of intimate relationship, it there's a cost to it. Building a marriage requires sacrifice. Building any relationship requires sacrifice. There is a cost. It costs us. And so you have to value what you're looking for. You'll never pay the price. Jesus even said, if you want to follow me, any man would follow me. He must deny self. There has to be a cut made in the self-life. It's not all about me. It's about God and who he is and what he wants to do. Now, no matter which way you look at it, the moment God crosses your will, you get either cut and you ooze <laughs> and you offer up something acceptable to God or you fight and resist. And you can't have the presence of God or the power of God if you're going to live a self-centered life. The life that is a life which is passionate for God is a sacrificial life. The Bible says God so loved, he held back everything. No, God so loved, he gave his only son. That is a sacrifice. That is a cut into the heart of God. Come on, think about it. All relationships that are going to build require sacrifice. And so one of the core, the first ingredient which is mentioned, the stacte, which is only obtained by putting a cut on the side of the tree, he's going to cost us something. There is a bit of pain in building quality relationship. Notice what David says, 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not offer any offering to the Lord that didn't cost me something. And God saw it and answered with fire from heaven. See, God responds when we sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice is not a sacrifice till you feel it. If you don't feel the cut, it wasn't really a sacrifice. That's why when Jesus was looking at the offerings which the various people made, he said, see that lady there? She gave more than all of them. And they looked and said, what? She only gave a couple of mites. He said, ah, but I see the cut. I see how it cut into her life and how it produce, it's produced something that pleases me. See? And so if we only give our leftovers to God, how can we ever enter into a relationship which is pleasing with him. If you only give your leftovers into your marriage, how can you build a strong marriage? If your wife is on the last point of receiving, then how can she say that you value her? There's no cut in your life. She doesn't see the cut. She doesn't, re she doesn't see any evidence that you are really valuing her. No sacrifice. Sacrifice is at the core of Christianity. Think about it. Christian is, Christianity is not a religion of convenience. It's a religion of sacrifice. It starts with the sacrifice of Christ. It ignites a fire of the Holy Ghost in those who have been touched by the love of God. And having been touched by His love and touched by His love, that passionate lovers of God, they say, nothing's too much for Him. Now they begin to sacrifice. You're only here because someone sacrificed. And the next generation will only arise because someone today sacrifice to make it happen you're living in a building enjoying a building enjoying facilities someone sacrifice for so enjoy it but let's have vision for what will come ahead that you can sow into that and be a part of the next things that god's going to do come on now so sacrifice christianity is not a, con a religion of convenience now what is it ignites and draws people into fun fundamental islam Very, very simple. There's a cause to live for, and they're challenged to lay their life down for it. How much more shall we who serve the living God, the true God, should be ignited with a passion and a willingness to give whatever it takes that we might advance this cause? Do you have that kind of passion burning in you that says, God, whatever it takes, I'll give the best I have to you. Whatever it takes to live a life that honors you, I'll give my best to you. I give my best. I give my best. And if it costs me, I'll never give you anything that didn't cost me something. I won't coast. That's what David said. He went, I won't offer something that someone else offered or gave me to God. But, you know, multitudes of Christians are living off someone else's sacrifice. It's your time to change, time to arise, time for the church to lay hold of its destiny. See, so, and God answered it with a fire from heaven. Here's the second one here. So sacrifice, number one, sacrifice. Number two, you notice here, uh, Stacte, Onicha. Okay, these are hard names, aren't they? But they come from a powdered shell found in the Red Sea, and it means literally to roar like a lion. To roar like a lion. Next ingredient is passion. Expressive passion. 
See, that word means to roar like a lion. It doesn't mean a timid sort of thing. It's something which is very expressive. When we believe the Word of God, that we're accepted, loved, and God has got uh, wonderful things for us, He's a loving person, then something in us should rise up and be expressive, not timid. The Bible says, come boldly to the presence of God. And so a second ingredient means literally to roar like a lion. It speaks of passion which must find expression. See, if you're passionate about something, you will always express it somehow. You ever seen people? Man, I was just watching someone over there, and, uh, and they, uh, we were watching some highlights of the cricket. And I was watching, no, I don't mind watching the highlights. I hate watching the whole game. I don't mind watching the highlights where you, five minutes you see the whole thing. I love that. Great stuff. Just watch, and there it is. Oh, and the ball goes down, and the wickets fly like that. And then the interesting thing is to see the response of the guy who just bowled him out. Well, you want to see what growing men do. Don't tell me they're not passionate. I've seen them. I watched this guy's grown man, and there he is, and he got this one. Yeah! You know, and then he's hugging on someone and smothering them with kisses, and they're hugging one another and carrying on. Men, growing men in front of thousands of people, in front of television. Get them on church, you can't get the mouth open. I know why, it's passion. It's just passion. It's just passion. Being passionate about something. And the reason we're not passionate is because we don't know enough of God. We need to know Him better. We need to encounter Him. We need to experience Him. And it's out of that that the fire gets lit. Eh? Passion can be cultivated. Oh, when I cultivate passion. You know, a person who's passionate about something. Here's someone who's passionate about computers. Dear God, you open the mouth and ask them about computers and they won't stop. And their eyes light up and they go into another world. And they go, hey, oh, 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 oh. I tell you what, I, I met someone, uh, I've ever, ever, had, ever seen gold fever. Now, gold miners are the same. You get these old timers who've been digging out gold out of the, the rivers. Boy, they're the same. Their eyes light up when you talk gold. Oh, and away they go. Then you ask where they found it, they get very suspicious and they close down. But, you know, gold, that's another thing that lie. Well, of course, you know, you get some of the girls and they're excited about a new outfit or excited about some boy or something like that. <laughs> Their eyes are alive. Fire is starting to burn in there, you know. You know, the Bible says, don't awaken love before it's time. They want fire in the hole before we really get married, okay? Okay, so passion. Passion can be uh, quenched. Passion can be uh, cultivated. So God's wanting to cultivate a passion right now, this season. So we become on fire. First, love for Him. Okay, Okay, here's the next ingredient, galbanum. Galbanum is a resinum or a yellow gum. They got it out of India. They imported it from India. It's still imported and used. It root means to be fat, to be rich, or it means the richest and the best part. It richest or the best part. So we saw sacrifice was one thing. Passion is another. Expression is a part of that whole passion. Next one is respect or reverence for God. We must put a value on God. We must value Him and not take Him for granted. This, this particular ingredient, which makes up passionate love, is we must honor and reverence who God is. If you take people for granted... You can't enter into strong relationship with them. Familiarity causes us to take people for granted and relationships deteriorate. One of the major reasons marriages deteriorate is it started off in the heat of passion and then after a while it deteriorated because there was no cultivating of honor and value and appreciation. See, to honor means to place a value on. And notice this ingredient means the very choicest part, the best part. And so you'll give the best part to what is the most valuable in your life? Do you give your best part to God? The best of the day? The best of the money? The best of your time? The best? Or do you just give the leftovers? It always says something about the place God has in your life, what you give to Him. Now, don't say, well, I got good intention. Well, I feel good. You know, I feel good. I feel good. I know your works. I'd rather you were hot and passionate or cold, but not in this indifferent place. Lukewarm, tepid, neither hot nor cold. God wants us passionate, full of fire, of love. Just it's a love ignited, love for Him. Those in, in Leviticus 10.3, He says, Those who come near to me, I must be regarded by them as holy. God wants us. Now, when you come to, the, when you come to church, now, I know there's all sorts of reasons why we get late, but one of the reasons we get late is because we don't value God. We just see a service we're coming to, and we don't think, 
I'm coming to make an offering of my life to God. I'm coming to offer a sacrifice to Him. I'm coming to present my finances, the best of my life to Him. See, we become familiar, then it's just, oh, I was going to church, oh, oh yeah, run a bit late. And we get into a whole flow where actually we forget it's about God. It's about meeting, experiencing, encountering God and reverencing for whom He is. Not being distracted and all looking around. Interesting, I was reading the paper the other day about uh, one of these uh, guys, came, a visitor came to New Zealand. And he went up to the, one of the uh, concert parties up in, uh, in uh, Rotorua. And uh, they, the, the, the culture group there came and they, they did their performance. And, and, of course, the guy stood there and he just began to grin and laugh and look around. And it so enraged this other man doing the performance, he headbutted him. Thunk! And, and broke his nose. And out he went into the hospital and the guy got arrested and so on and so forth. But the interesting thing was what had incensed him was that the guy placed no value on what was highly valuable to him. Eh? There was no honor. He felt he was dishonored. That's why he got angry. Do you ever think God feels dishonored? In Leviticus chapter 10, two men who'd just been newly anointed as priests got so full of themselves and so full of pride, they decided they'd just do and go and they'd put on a show and they'd go into this new place they're able to go into. And they so disrespected God that he burned them up, gave them a good old Holy Ghost headbutt from heaven. Dunk! Whoo! And they died in front of everyone. So they were putting on a show in front of everyone, they died in front of everyone. And they dragged them out. Think about that. Is that the God you serve? Oh, no, 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 no. That's the Old Testament guy. I don't serve him. Oh, I didn't know there were two. What about in the New Testament when Ananias and Sapphira came up and they lied to God? And they got a good Holy Ghost headbutt. Thunk! Dead. They got carried out. You know? Come on, think about this. This is the God we serve. He's a holy, awesome God. It's not taken for granted. It's not think, oh, it's only me, it's only my, oh, you know, it's only a little bit of this. Don't, don't compromise with sin. Don't treat him with disrespect. Let's treat him with value. Let's get to know this God we serve. Love him passionately. Love him passionately. See, so honor. Eh? Psalm 25 verse 40 says, The secret or intimacy with the Lord is with them that fear him, to those who will show his covenant. We want to experience God more, start to respect who he is, approach him on his terms. The last term, the one that was in there was frankincense. The word frankincense means that's the most important one. It was very, very rich, very important. It means literally to be white or to be pure. And it's a very good picture for us of truth. The Bible says in John 4, 24, those who worship me, just worship me in spirit and truth. The word truth means without covering up your life. One of the most important ingredients we can have when we come to the Lord is honesty and genuineness in our connection to him. Not covering up our weaknesses, our failures, our wrong desires, our lacks, our sin areas. If we cover up what's going on in our life, how can we? We become like a hypocrite. We draw near with the lips and the heart's a long way off. If your life's a mess, God wants you to be open with Him about it. He's not worried about how bad it is, He's got the power to change it. What He wants is you to be authentic. Authentic. Have a think about this. You've had a child that gave you a gift, but they've been radically disobedient through the week, it affected the gift that they gave. It always does. When we just live a life that's self-centered, do our own thing, then we come and offer a gift for God. It, it's not the same as if we love the Lord. And we come on, God, and we give you something. Love you. I'm passionately in love with you. Now, look, let me just finish with this. In the New Testament, in, Ma in Luke chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus is in the house of a religious person. He's in the house of a believer. And while he's in the house of the believer... Something strange happens. A woman, the Bible says a woman, doesn't tell who her name is because God doesn't want to know it's her name. This is just any person. And this woman comes in and said, now it's a woman. She came in and she actually ignored conventions. She ignored the opinions of the crowd. She ignored what anyone thought or felt about her. She had passion. And then the Bible tells us she came and she stood at the feet of Jesus and she began to weep and weep and weep and she kissed his feet and she began to wipe his feet with the hair of her head and then she took this box of precious ointment about a year's wages of ointment and broke it open and anointed him and there's this deathly silence someone 
in the house is passionate about Jesus. And, of course, the religious man took a look and said, Oh, don't know about all this stuff. Jesus knew who that woman was. He'd never allowed him to touch her. What kind of man is he? So notice what he said. If he knew what kind of woman she was, Jesus put the question to him, Do you know what kind of man you are? He said, When I came in, he said, you gave me no kiss. There's no passion. There's no, there's no love and, and, and expression of friendship to me. When I came in, you gave me no water. A sign of honor and respect for who I am. You didn't value who I was. You didn't even do the basic for me. You know, when I came in, you gave me no anointing. There was nothing costly or expensive poured out. You were just having me in for a meal. He said, you notice the things that the the woman had were exactly the things this religious person lacked. She had, she gave sacrificially. She had a passion for him, a fire. She expressed her love for him. Well, look at how it can be expressed a whole variety of ways. But got to have the fire on the inside. Notice that she loved him because she was great. The Bible says this, said, the person who's forgiven much loves much. This woman loves much. She had all four ingredients of a passionate love for Jesus Christ. And the religious man lacked all the four ingredients, but thought he was a better person. He was actually lukewarm and blinded to his true condition, and so Jesus gave him a dose of truth. Simon, I know you're despising that person because she's so expressive. Simon, you weren't passionate. You didn't give me a kiss of friendship. Simon, you never gave me honor and respect and value. Simon, you never really gave anything that cost you much. I was just an extra. I was sort of kind of like an add-on. I was sort of not really very important to you. To this woman, I was very important because she's forgiven much. She's passionately in love with me. I believe over the next few weeks, God is going to begin to start to touch the hearts and lives. We need to sometimes remember where we came from that we might kindle again the fire of love. I'll talk next week about how to kindle that love, how to begin to ignite it again. Those four ingredients, I wonder if you have them operating in your life. The ingredients of passionate love. Actually, they work almost in any situation. You think about any relationship you want to build. There is a cost to building. There needs to be expression, passionate expression, expression of feelings. There needs to be truth. And we need to honor people and value them and what they think and how they feel. Have you ever, after you've gone to a worship meeting, come home and ask the Lord this question? Lord, how did you feel about my offering to you today? And wait for him to tell you the truth. Truth, passion, honor, sacrifice. The ingredients of a passionate relationship with God with your spouse, with anyone. Father, we just thank you right now. Today, your presence is here with us. We sense you're speaking to us. You're wanting to ignite fresh passion. Father, I pray that every person in this place that's heard this message, those who heard it on a CD, Lord, that you would begin to stir and kindle fresh fire. We need, Lord, to encounter you afresh if we're to come into a place of enlargement. Lord, ignite fresh fire in our hearts and lives. Ignite fire in our marriages. Lord, we just come to you today repentant of lukewarmness, repentant of hard-heartedness, repentant of selfishness, repentant, Lord, of the things which quench our life and make us live just like the people around us instead of passionately different to them. Lord, ignite a fire of love in our hearts. Just while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, there may be someone here who doesn't even know Jesus. You're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ. Today could be the day when your life changes forever. Jesus came into this world to show the goodness of God, that men are separated from God by sin. That's you. You're born into this world separated from God. You have no intimate relationship with him. You may know about him, but you don't really know him. Jesus came to show how we could come near to God by admitting that we are separated. Perhaps you're here today and you Today be the first day, or perhaps even you're a Christian in here a while, and you've got to say in your heart, if you're really honest, I'm actually separated from God. My life is just really out of order. And I feel him calling to me because he loves me. Jesus said to those who received him, he gave power to become a child of God. 
to everyone who believed on him. Believing is not just a, a, a mental thing. It's with the heart welcoming Christ and giving our life to him. It's actually surrendering to him. We run our life our way. It's messy. Why not begin to yield to God and let him guide us how to run our life according to his way that he made us? Is there anyone here today who says, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to receive the love of the one who loved me, to begin to arise inside with something fresh in my life. If that's you today, quickly raise your hands. Just quickly raise your hand. If there's any person here who just wants to become a Christian, never given your life yet to Jesus. Today you say, it's my day. I want to give my life to Jesus. Quickly put your hand up. Anyone here? There's some here today, and while I've been speaking, you realize to your dismay, that the love you once had for Jesus is really low. If you were to look at your works, your prayer life, your, what you do, the love for the Word of God, the, the actual giving of yourself, the involvement of yourself, you realize that love is gone. I need to have it reignited again. The first step is to admit it. God, today I sense there's a lukewarmness in my life that I don't want anymore. Lord, I'm coming back to you. Ignite that fire again. A love that just is passionate in its pursuit of you and your will for my life. If that's you, quickly raise your hand up. Just God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you that this church and this year will rise to a whole new level of fruitfulness and of the presence of God. And Jesus Today we honor you, we give you the praise and the glory for who you are and what you've done in our lives, what you're about to do. Jesus, we honor you. We honor you. You feel his presence here? Jesus, we honor you. I wonder if we could sing that song, For Thou, O Lord, art great high, you know. Yeah. Well, let's just stand, finish with the song. Visitors, please come on up. We'd love to have a cup of coffee with you upstairs. Church, we just, uh, why don't you just welcome one another, open your homes and hearts to one another. Let's just keep this atmosphere. You can, I can feel the presence of God more than any time in the, in, the, in the meeting. So we don't want you to lose what we've got. We'll just finish with one last song and just enjoy one another. Take someone home for, uh, for lunch. God bless you.